Well, good morning, church. That would be great among the nations. A fire from a spark. And offering salvation to a world of broken hearts. What an incredible song to sing before we get into the word of God. I remember when God offered me salvation because I had a broken heart. Not only a broken heart because of the sins that I was involved in, but a broken heart over all the other broken hearts and a broken heart because I had broken a lot of hearts. And so today we're going to get into the word of God and specifically the call of God. I pray today you have convictions on the call of God. So impressed by Dominic, he is back. Dom, has, he's making a comeback. And of course, what can we say about, about Franklin with that contribution? I had a whole lot I wanted to say about the EMC right there, and I still am going to say a few things. But uh, I so appreciated his challenge that truly, really, it, it's, it's the least we can do. The, the, the least we could do to sacrifice, to really get registered for the European Missions Conference. After all, the hope of all of Europe rests on our hands right there, on our shoulders. We, we are the only church that really believes solely 100% in the Bible cover to cover. That there's only one faith, one Lord, one church. We, we are the, the, the only church that's offering salvation to a world of broken hearts. Not just hoping people come through the doors. No, we go out and we offer, whether they want it or not, offer salvation to a world of broken hearts. Today I want to persuade you to have convictions for the call of God. Matthew chapter 9. Convictions for the call of God. They say it's it's awesome when you have 2020 vision, but yet we want to have 2022 vision where we still have vision that, that this year is going to be a record year for the church. I pray you haven't lost your conviction. I so appreciated some of the things that Dom said about the call of God. I would probably say it a bit different. You lose with potential when you win with performance. Basically, it's awesome to have a bunch of potential, but who cares if you don't perform? Who cares if we don't do anything? Who cares if we're just a church on Sunday morning? What is the point if we don't have convictions on the call of God? Last week, I, we, we talked about being sold out because you're sent out. And, you know, that first point was ready to go. And I asked if you're ready to go. But from a biblical standpoint, if you are a true Christian, it's not about being ready to go. You're expected to go. That's what the Bible says. It is not, oh, I'm ready. No, you're expected to go. And of course, when you go through this text, and we'll look at it again, Jesus says, preach this message. You say, wow, I'm ready to preach this message. It doesn't matter if you're ready. You're expected to preach <laughs> this message. That's if you are a true disciple. We pick it up in Matthew chapter 9. Convictions for the call of God. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him. I got to stop. I mean, Jesus is hilarious. I mean, God is a comedian. Two blind guys are following him. 
I mean, I'm sure you caught that. I mean, Jesus is just walking along right there, and he's got two blind guys following. I mean, I wonder what that looked like. I mean, I went there bugging each other, bumping each other, arguing with each other, but, but two blind guys are following him. God is a comedian. Calling out, well, the Greek right here means crying out in a loud voice. Not just calling out, excuse me. No, no, no. They were crying out. Crying out in a loud voice. Have mercy on us. Son of David, they had some history. They knew he was the son of David. And they knew they needed God's mercy. Have mercy on us. When I look at what goes on in the 21st century, I don't have to be a blind guy to be able to say with conviction, God, have mercy on the 21st century. Have mercy on this generation. Have mercy on all of London. God, I know you see what goes on in this city. You can lift all the roofs of the houses off. You see the lines of coke. You see the sexual abuse. You watch the girl who's been abused and now she's got to get her needs met for men. She's got to wear a certain type of outfit so she wants the attention from men. You see the world. You see the men preying on them. You see the men that still cry because they were the men who preyed on those kind of women. Arguably, I could say, this, this, this could be read to us. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Son of David, he gone indoors. The blind man came to him, and they asked him, and he asked him, do you believe that I'm able to do this? I love God. God doesn't ask questions. This is God. This is the omnipresent God, omnipotent God. He knows everything. God does not ask questions because he's looking for information. He asks questions because he's looking to find out if you got a conviction. He's, he's just, do you have a You're blind, but do you have a conviction? He says, do you believe I'm able to do this? Do you have faith? That's what God is asking. Do you have faith? He was asking that back then. He's asking that today. Do you have faith? You know, sometimes we're blinded where we're blinded in the areas of our lives where we need to be healed. The question is, do you believe God can heal you in the blinded areas you have in your life? Do you believe I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied, both of them in unison. <laughs> then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that you, no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. Point number one, tell everybody. <laughs> tell everybody. Right here, Jesus heals two blind guys. And then he tells them, tell nobody. What do they do? They tell everybody. I'll run that by you again. Jesus heals two blind guys. And then he tells them, don't you tell anybody. What do they do? They tell everybody. You know what's interesting? When it comes to the call of God and the New Testament, Jesus tells us, tell everybody. And we tell nobody. Let me run that by you again. When it comes to us in the New Testament, 
Jesus actually tells us, tell everybody, and we tell nobody. I think we can learn from these two blind men that we need to tell everybody. Now, the reason why Jesus said tell nobody is because Jesus knew that there were a lot of people that wanted to use God, not worship God. Meaning, they just wanted a miracle. I just want what you have to give me, God. You know, give me this, give me this, give me this. Usually those are, are you know, that's, that's a really boring prayer if it's all give me, give me, give me. Jesus knew that some people only followed with wrong motives. That's why he said, don't tell everybody. Because I, I want the people that really love me, that have convictions about loving me. So he says, tell nobody. He didn't want people following him with the wrong motives. A God that they can use and not worship. You know, use to get married, use to get, to, I mean, those are all great things. But you don't want to use God, you want to worship God. Are you with me here? So he says, tell nobody. And they tell everybody news spread through the whole Region. I so respect disciples that have convictions on the call of God. You know, when we really began the movement of God in Portland, Oregon, it was a European man that had saw a desolated church that lost their conviction on making disciples, lost their conviction on central leadership, lost their conviction on helping one another or discipling relationships, lost their conviction on evangelizing the entire nations in one generation. It was, it was a European guy. He came to Portland, Oregon. Came to Portland, Oregon, flew there on his own dime just because he heard that the movement had kicked off again. I fell in love with him. At that time, it was the first time me and James Morgan built a relationship. He had convictions on the call of God. And yet, we've got the European Missions Conference coming up. The European Missions Conference is, is, is where we, we tell all the blind people that there is a God. Those who are blind to their need, blind to their understanding, they need Jesus. And yet we do have to pay the price through sacrifice. It's the least that we can do. And yet the EMC is our attempt to be able to tell everybody. To tell everybody in Europe there is a God. Do you have convictions on telling everybody? It's going to cost money to tell everybody. It's going to cost time to tell everybody. It's going to cost rejection to tell everybody. It's going to cost sacrificing your dream for God's dream if we're going to tell everybody. we got to tell everybody. I so love this here because it says, as these guys are following Jesus, it says Jesus went on from there. Two blind men followed him, calling out. He says, have mercy on the son. It says, when he had gone indoors. That means they said, have mercy. And Jesus kept walking. I'm sure you guys saw that. That means they said, have mercy, because it says they were following Jesus. He was walking, and they were following him blindly. And Jesus still, even though they were following him, he kept on walking to test their faith. Now remember, they were crying out. Jesus won't answer your cries. Deeply the cries that are in your heart until you keep walking with him. Keep walking with him to find out what door he's going through before he blesses the deepest cries in your heart. You gotta keep walking with God. You gotta keep walking. They keep walking. They're blind and they keep walking. We can see and we stop walking. Do you have convictions on the call of God? Convictions to tell everybody. 
Convictions to tell everybody at your school. Convictions to tell everybody in your, in your, in your family. They may not like you, but you have convictions that God loves you. We're going to get into that in a minute. We got to tell everybody. I, I'm fired up. We, we, are, we, are, we are telling people about Jesus. It is awesome. We are telling everybody. You know, in Paris, they almost had 200 people at church last week, guys. 200 people at Champs-Élysées. They are going after it. You know, I, I was asking the brothers how it's going. You know, in the West region, we've seen 15 editions. South region, 16 editions. North region, 16 editions. East region, 21 editions. You know, it's so great. I was on my, on my way to a Bible study with a, a great friend of mine. And uh, as, I, as I was on my way to the Bible study, I, I saw this huge paparazzi kind of crowd taking photos and stuff. And it was right at the bus stop where I was getting off at Bank Station. And when I got off at the station, uh, it, it was obviously some celebrity person, but I was like, uh, okay, I don't, uh, you know, I'm just going to head on to my Bible study. That's a little bit more important than kind of a little celebrity pop, you know, photo deal. But I looked at the person, they looked right at me. And I went, Anthony Joshua. Bro. And he stopped the photos and everything. And he goes, what are you doing in central London? <laughs> yeah. I gave him a, you know, I, I gave him a, you know, a hand like that. And it, his, his hand grabbed my section of arm here. I forgot how big his arm, hands were. It just like grabbed this here. And I was like, I was trying to go like this. And he grabbed all of this. And I was like, okay. Like they almost picked me up a little bit right there. I was like, okay, let me calm down here. And uh, I, I said, Anthony, I've been praying for you. Now, for those that don't know, I've had a few times where I've been able to kind of open the Bible with Anthony and talk to him about the Lord. In fact, right before the European Missions Conference a few years ago, we just so happened to run into Anthony right before his fight. And Michelle and I got on our knees and we prayed with him and for him to win the fight. And he won the fight. And so I said, Anthony, I'm still praying for you. I've never seen one of the heavyweight champions of the world literally become shorter than me in a moment. But he just, he's like this, I got to go train. I go, I'm about to train. And everybody's looking, waiting, you know, kind of like doing it. Whoa, this is a moment right here. And he kind of looked at me like, do you want a photo? I don't want your photo. I want, your, I, want your, I, want, I want you to become a disciple. I don't need a photo. I want a photo. Put it on Facebook. Who cares about that? I want you to become a Christian and inspire men in this city to fight for God. I want, I want you to inspire men. And he says, well, you know, I'm, I'm still at the gym in North London. So I'm going to be going up to North London, taking some boxing lessons, trying to run into Anthony Joshua. Because if I can tell him, he'll tell a lot of people right there. We got to have the faith to tell everybody, guys. Let's keep going. Look at this, verse 35. Jesus went through the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Jesus was moved by guilt. Oh, I haven't shared my faith in so many, so many months. I better do it. Jesus was moved by fear. Oh, I better share my faith. I don't, want, I don't want to feel guilty on Sunday morning. You know, Michael, he's going to be preaching. And you know him. Jesus was moved by embarrassment. I can start a company, but I haven't had a Bible study in my Bible talk in nine months. Jesus was moved by pride. That brother had seven baptisms. I want eight. 
those things will move you. They just won't move you very long. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be moved by guilt. The guilt of not sharing your faith and talking about what God has done in your life. I'm not saying you shouldn't be moved by the fear of God. That if you are not faithfully proclaiming the message, you're not a faithful Christian. I'm not saying you shouldn't be moved by embarrassment. That God can look at your situation and go, God, this is embarrassing. I'm not saying you shouldn't be moved by godly ambition. Never moved by pride, amen? Godly ambition. That brother had eight baptisms. I want to have ten baptisms. We, we need as many. I'm, I'm inspired by his eight. Maybe we could do ten. Not I want to beat him, but maybe we could do more. So that God can get more glory. That's a different motivation. But Jesus right here says he was moved by compassion. The Greek word is splagnitomai. Splagnitomai. It means to be moved deep in your gut. It means to be moved in your bowels. It means something in your bowels is happening and it's, it's, it's happening in your bowels because Jesus wants you to share your faith. That's what it means. That's what it, the word means. I know you guys probably knew that, but splagnitomai, compassion. He had splagnitomai. He was moved in his, you ever had that gut feeling? That gut feeling you need to open your mouth because the city is as open as your mouth. Your campus is as open as your mouth. Even in your own home, your own home is as open as your mouth. You, you got to preach the word even in your own home and share your faith. Let me tell you something. I share my faith with my wife. That's why she loves me. Because I share my faith with her. Look what I've learned about the Lord, babe. Look what God is saying. Look what God's doing. Let me, let me talk to you about the Lord. We got to share our faith. Jesus moved by compassion here. It's in his gut. What is it that moves you to tell everyone? Are you moved to tell everyone? Who are you telling? Why are you not telling them? What are they telling you? Are you preaching or are people preaching to you? Who is your preacher? Is it Jesus? Are you moved by compassion? You know, sometimes people are, they're moved by TV. They're moved by Netflix. I think we've gone through a couple of years where everyone had different preachers. Some people had CNN. That was their preacher, especially with the coronavirus, whatever CNN says. Then you had everybody else, Fox News. And then you had others, BBC. Then you got the rebellious, so I, I go on independent channels. I just like one preacher in my life. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And right here, Jesus was moved by compassion to tell everybody. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. I love this. He says, ask the Lord to send out supervisors. No, he didn't say go send out supervisors to supervise the work. He says, you know, we don't need a bunch of supervisors that are supervising the work. 
No, he says, ask the Lord of the heart, send out workers. Do you have convictions on multiplication? That means if you become a disciple, you have to make a disciple. You get to make a disciple. That's Jesus' plan of salvation. Now, Jesus could have said, you know what? Why don't you guys just get a huge crowd together, get somebody up there to say a really controversial sermon, and give everybody a one-shot deal to become a Christian. That wasn't how he said to do it. No, he says one person at a time. Every member has to multiply. Every person has a mission. Every person has a, has a goal. I want, to, I want to help someone know God. I want to be personally fruitful. I want to affect change. I want to offer salvation to this broken heart. I may have to break their heart so that they can see that they got a broken heart. But I want, to, I want that. To, you know, a lot of people don't have vision. They don't have vision just to help somebody become a Christian. They don't have vision. What's God's plan? Have you baptized anybody? Let's start there. Let's start with making a disciple. You know, we have arguably some of the best church leaders that have come to our European Missions Conference, Colleen and Ricky Chalinor. They're leading our church in Manila, Philippines. And let me tell you something. When we took over the teen ministry in Portland, Oregon, we had a whopping one teenager that was in our teen ministry. It was me, Michelle, and 14-year-old Colleen Untelon at the time. Just a 14-year-old little girl who didn't even know she wanted to be a Christian. Now she's arguably one of the best speakers, writers, teachers, leaders in the movement of God. Ricky studied the Bible. I studied the Bible with him. He didn't want to become a disciple. He said, oh, I want to do wrestling. I want to be on the wrestling team. He later came back and became a disciple. When you hear him preach, you're going to be like, oh, my goodness. This man can preach the word of God. I'm so grateful that God gave me the opportunity to affect change on two young people. I would have never thought this young kid who's running from the studies is going to become the most one of the most powerful kingdom leaders in our movement years from now. I would have never thought that. You have no idea who you convert, what they will do for God's kingdom. You have no idea who you will become in God's kingdom if you will but stay faithful. Jesus believed right here the harvest is plentiful, but the church has got to believe in multiplication. That means every disciple has to make a disciple. Every disciple gets to make a disciple. Every, you guys don't look inspired by that. Some of you look depressed. You may not be a disciple. That may be the issue. You may not be a disciple. You may just be like, yep, yeah, here we go with this disciple thing. Again. I mean, that's how some of you are looking at me. Brothers and sisters, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm going to tell you too. We're called to tell everybody. I'm going to tell you once again, we got to make disciples. <laughs> That's our call. That's what Jesus says. <laughs> Point number two. <laughs> Convictions on radical diversity in the church. Now, we got a pretty diverse church. We, we, we got all nations. We got Dutch in the house. We got Spanish in the house. I met Romanians this morning. We got Chinese. We got London. We got British. We got English. Those are like three different nations right there. <laughs> we got Swedish in the house. And even, I mean, you know there's a God when you got some Americans in the house. Jeez. Jesus has got to be real. 
If we offer salvation to Americans, we have problems. Jesus believed in diversity. How about you? You believe in diversity? You believe in having friends of all nations? You know, it's always exposed how much you believe in diversity at the fellowship break. That's why we take the fellowship break. You guys think I'm just trying to hang out and give you hugs and stuff. I want to see if you really are serious about liking all nations. Or whether you go, well, you know, let me have a Jell-Off Rife uh, conversation here. I'm Nigerian. Let me go find other Nigerians and, and talk Jell-Off Rice. And maybe I'll talk to the Ghanaians and say Nigerian is better than Ghanaian and have that debate. But far be it for me to talk about pho with the Chinese people. I'm from Jamaica. I'm from the Caribbean. I can talk Aki and saltfish, but I can't talk pie and mash. I don't have enough faith to really connect with somebody who's English. I don't have the patience. What you're saying is you don't believe in diversity. In the kingdom, we got to believe in diversity. Jesus believed in diversity. Diversity is awesome. When you can see all nations and all colors and all disciples, and there's no condition other than the condition that we're all sinners at the foot of Jesus needing salvation, offering salvation. And the playing ground is even at the cross. you got to have convictions on racial diversity. That's why we're going to go to all nations. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, he called his disciples and he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. We're going to break them down in a minute, but let's, let's read them. It says, first Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And it says, these 12 he sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or into any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. He says, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Israel was definitely lost at that time. They were very religious, but they were lost. The word lost right here is apolota. It means I'm dying. He says, you go to all those who are religious, who are lost, which really means I'm dying. It actually means total destruction. Go to those who are going to be destroyed by being religious. Go to those who, because he's saying, go to the lost sheep, those who believe in the Bible, but don't do the Bible. That believe in the Bible. You want me to tell you, the, 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 the toughest people to help know God is people that think they know God. That's why, if you're an atheist today, I'm so glad you're here. You're amazing. You're incredible. Thank you for coming. If you don't believe in the Bible, just, just keep coming. You'll believe in it. You're awesome. If you're, if broadcast, tell all the atheists, please come to the London International Christian Church. Skeptics, atheists, pessimists, uh, if you, all those kind of, come on out. We, we would love to have you. We'd love to have you. You're the kind of person we need. Same-sex attraction, homosexuality, if that was in your past, you're, we, we, we embrace you with open arms. Come to our church. But we still got to tell the religious. Because we got to tell everybody. Because you were religious. I was the worst. I was the worst. I used to have all my Bible studies, all my arguments about Jesus in the bar, drunk. Jesus is Lord. 
Jesus, savior of the universe. Why, bartender, give me another drink. Why do you believe in Jesus? I mean, why do you believe in Allah? And I literally would argue with people in bars, drunk. I remember one time this bartender, he was, he was watching me and this Muslim guy argue. It was like a movie. He was like wiping the glass like this. Just like, just like these two, because we were the last two people in the bar. It was terrible. I'm so glad they told me and they helped me become a Christian. Uh, I'm still grateful to this day. Uh, the brothers that helped me, I, I, I still am indebted. Uh, and I got baptized into a church that, that was, you know, the people that helped me were nothing like me. I'm glad they weren't like me. Everything that I valued, they didn't value. Everything I thought was awesome, they didn't think was awesome. I was like, hey, I've done five films. I'm, I'm an actor. I'm getting ready to go to L.A. And they, my agent wants me to be in another feature film. I've met De Niro and all these people. They were like, yeah, anyway. Can you grab your, <laughs> grab your Bible and turn over to Psalm chapter 119? Sure, I guess. <laughs> you know, they just did. They weren't, they weren't moved by that. They were moved with compassion to see I got my needs met from the world. And they wanted to help me get my needs met from God. And they realized I was dying in my success. I was lost. You, just because you're successful doesn't mean you're not dying. Just because you have a good job doesn't mean you're not dying. Just because the world tells you you're the, you, you get the best award for being a best business person doesn't mean you're not dying. Do you have faith that you're pouring into your family, your kids, your children? Are you living on the word of God? He says, go to those who are dying. Dying in their sins. And he says, tell them. You know, it's so great when you share your faith with with people, especially from the religious background, and they're not so obstinate because we forget the people that killed Jesus were not the humanists, the atheists, the pessimists, and all those kind of people. The people that killed Jesus were the religious people. Isn't that something? The ones who killed him weren't the guys that were like out doing all the, you know, crazy stuff. It was the ones who believed they were saved. They were the worst. They were the ones who killed him. So it's so awesome when you get someone who's religious and they see the religion and they see they're lost and they want to become a disciple. You know, it's so great. We had this guy, Caspar shared this guy with this guy at uh, Imperial University. His name is Ignacio. Now, Ignacio is from Chile. And uh, you say, well, what's a, big, what's a big deal about Ignacio? Well, he's counted as one of the 100 most influential people in all of Chile. Um, he's a university lecturer in robotics and artificial intelligence. He got his master's from Imperial College. Not his undergrad, his master's. Uh, specialization in quantum computing from MIT, the number one university in the entire world. Yeah, number one university in the entire world. Yeah. Oh, he's getting his second master's from uh, the University of Chile currently. He's been invited to several conferences all around the world. He's the cyber guy for a church of over 5,000 in Chile. But he sat down with uh, me and Caspar at Imperial University, and once we showed him scripturally that he had never become a true disciple, instead of him being religious, he realized, I'm dying, and he realized he needs to become a disciple, and he sees that he is lost. You know, when someone really sees their need for God, they want to serve right away. So what did he do? He built an entire website for the European Missions Conference. And prior to building a website, using his own time and money to do it, he actually got registered for the Global Leadership Conference in L.A., went to the conference, went to all the classes, paid the fees, took pictures. Everybody thought he was a disciple. 
We just let him kind of feel like he was, but you know. Took pictures, came back, studied with Casper and I, built a website, and is already registered for the EMC. And we still got to finish studying with him. He goes, man, I am dying in this religious situation. And he sees his need for God. Now, what's your excuse for not being registered? Now, let's go for the, uh, the great, great, great diversity we see that Jesus called. First of all, he says, go to the lost sheep of Israel. That means, all, uh, uh, you know, the ones that are dying, the religious. So this is what's called the limited commission. Because he says, only go to the Jews. It's not the great commission. The great commission doesn't come to Matthew chapter 28 to the end of his ministry. So this is the limited commission. You know, some people believe in the limited commission. I only want to go to certain people. We already kind of addressed that, but I want to hit it again. We, we can't just believe in a limited commission. Now, this is what Jesus told them. But when he told them to tell the ones who would believe in him through their message, that's us. We can't believe in the limited commission. We got to believe in the great commission. Again, that's diversity. That's all nations becoming Christians. And uh, I, love, I love this list of guys here that he has, he's, he's got together. He's, so these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon. This guy named Simon. Um, he's the guy, <laughs> it's hilarious, Simon is, says, Simon, who's called Peter. Now, of course, Peter means rock. Now, I love the fact that he's listed first. He's listed first because he's the leader. But guess what Simon means? One who listens. One who listens. You know what Peter's problem was? He never listened. He never listened. I love God. He's a comedian. He's hilarious. And when you go through Peter's life, sometimes he calls him Simon. Sometimes he calls him Peter. Sometimes he calls him Simon Peter. <laughs> he says, you need a guy like that. You need a guy, rock. And Peter became the rock. He became the rock. Okay? You need, you need a rock. To get diversity, you need somebody who's the rock. Who's going to be the rock at LSE, LSU? All these campuses that we're going after. The rock in the north, the east, the south, the west. The rock in Stockholm, Sweden. Next is Andrew. He says, Simon is called Peter and his brother, Andrew. You know what Andrew means? You know what also it means? It means manliness. Manliness. You know, manliness. I can hear Andrew. He probably sounded like Franklin. You know, you hear Franklin sounds like God right there. If God was Nigerian, he'd sound like Franklin. You listen. Oh my goodness, man. That guy's voice is like, what do I need to do? Andrew was a great guy. Andrew was the guy. Check this out about Andrew. In John chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go amongst so many? Andrew was like many of us. Um, he, he was like, when God asked him to do something impossible, he's like, here's a, here's a kid, he's got some barley loaves right here. Can we just use that? And, and God, God says, no, you need to, you, need to you know, just put it in my hand. And then God multiplied the barley loaves to feed the 5,000. There's a great lesson there. That any, any, anything you have in your hand gets multiplied in the hand of God. When you take your, your, your master's degree and you put it in Jesus' hands, he'll multiply it to feed 5,000. 
You take your life and put it in Jesus' hands. He'll multiply it to do a lot greater than your plan. So he was a guy who said that. Anything you put in the hand of the mighty will be multiplied. Anything. Talent, skill, ability, your own life. There's James, son of Zebedee. He was one of the sons of thunder that are talked about in Mark chapter 3, verse 17. Um, I think about the sons, and there was a couple of them, James and John. Sons of, these were like the edgy disciples. They were sons of thunder. They probably had leather robes. <laughs> Come rolling in in leather robes. They're apostles, but their robes are leather sandals. You know, I can see them, the edgy sons of thunder. We're the sons of thunder, you know. We want to sit at the right hand, you know. Uh, then there's John. John, um, his name means God is gracious. John the apostle, right? One of the apostles is John. Um, John is the one who said, I'm the one Jesus loves. When he writes his account, he goes, I'm the one who Jesus loves. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I'm the one he actually loved. I mean, he's dying. I mean, that's, that's probably for me. I mean, Peter, you're a little flaky. You don't listen. I mean, Andrew, you're not always manly, bro. <laughs> you're looking literally here, not putting everything in the hand of Jesus right there, not thinking about things, right? Doubting Thomas. But I'm the one. I'm the one. You know, there's a great lesson in that. He was secure in God's love. So secure he could write about it. That means he could talk about it. That means he could preach about how secure are you in God's love. Not secure in man's love, God's love. When you're secure in God's love, you don't care what people think. You don't even care what you think. Because sometimes you need to stop thinking about yourself and let God tell you how to think about yourself. When you're secure, he was secure in God's love. Secure in God's love. He understood God was gracious, which is exactly what his name means. God is gracious. At Philip right here, Philip, uh, his name, Philip and Bartholomew, Bartholomew's name is also Nathaniel, but Philip, his name means lover of horses. Um, so, exactly. He, he was the accountant type guy that's always counting the price right here, you know. Um, he, he was the one who said, we don't have enough money to feed these 5,000. Mm-hmm, yeah, because you're a lover of horses, bro. You're always thinking about the money. Um, he was the kind of guy, well, I don't know if we have the budget for the EMC. I don't know if we got the budget for this, right? Lover of horses right there, but he was an awesome disciple. Then you got Nathaniel, um, who's also called Bartholomew, and he's the guy that said, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? You got to have skeptics and crit critical people that become disciples. You know, he's kind of a little skeptical. So if you're a skeptic, you're per you make a perfect disciple. We need your diversity in our church. We need you, okay? We need you, you know, and you need the church. Uh, then there's Thomas. Thomas, he was the one who's, who's doubting, you know, he's like, unless I see the hands, I won't believe, right? He wanted to see another miracle, right? He didn't want to have faith in the word of God. He wanted to have faith in miracles. Yet the Bible says faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. That means God can do a miracle right now for you and that's not what he wants you to put your faith in. That's not faith. Faith is, comes from hearing the word of God. Say, but I don't believe the word of God. Right, you need to repent. Unbelief is the greatest sin. You're in sin for not believing. You're in sin for that. that that's sin. It's, it's a sin to not believe in God. You do believe in God. Everyone believes in God. We suppress the truth of the God we know exists with our wickedness. We know God exists. We know he exists. We know he does. What I find with many of my brothers and sisters that 
believe they don't believe in God. As many of them need our compassion because they've been hurt probably by a false person who said he was a Christian. They've been injured. And the issue is they don't, it's not that they don't believe in God. They don't believe in the goodness of God. Why? Because they say the same thing. If there is a God, why have all these? So, you're, so it's the bad things. It's the morality of God, the goodness of God that you have a problem with. Not the God of existence, of eternal existence. So they often question the goodness of God. And yet the Bible says in John chapter 11, verse 16, let us go that we may die with him. Thomas, who questioned God, those kind of people can become the most loyal. Because he says, let us go that we may die with him. A lot of us, people want to call him doubting Thomas. No, he's dying Thomas. See, to build a church, you need a guy that's willing to die for the movement. You need women that are willing to die to see the evangelization of all of Europe. He's dying Thomas. And then, of course, you got Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot, Thaddeus, Zealot. Now, this is crazy. Matthew, the tax collector, is here. You got Thomas, you got Matthew, the tax collector. You got Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot. You know what zealots were, guys? Freedom fighters. These were the guys who believed in a theocracy. So they, the Romans were in charge. So because Rome was in charge, they saw that as Satan in charge because Rome did not believe in a theocracy. They believed in a theocracy, which means God's in control of everything. And so because Rome wasn't, wasn't worshiping God, the zealots thought, hey, guys, if we just kill, kill the Romans, we can be back in charge. Yeah, let's just kill them. So you had guys that were freedom fighters. They believed in killing anybody with an allegiance to Rome. So who is Matthew? Matthew is a tax collector for who? Rome. Ooh. This is who Jesus put in the same Bible talk. The same church. Now, if you're an African-American and you know about the, uh, the slave trade in America and, and, and you know what happened, there were certain individuals that were black people that actually owned slaves. They were despised. That's what Matthew is viewed as <laughs> from, from, from a zealot. You're collecting taxes from the government that's killing and oppressing your own people. And I love the book of Matthew. Matthew calls himself a tax collector. He didn't want to distance himself from his old sinful life. He called, I'm Matthew the tax collector. That's who I was. I was a wicked dude. I collected taxes. I oppressed my own people. I hurt my own people. That always cuts me. Because I think about people that I've hurt. And it, and it hurts, it, I feel bad about it to this day. That's why I want to be a spiritual father to so many young men and so many young women. Because I think, I, I am the tax collector. I'm the person who hurt people. I hurt people. And I'll die for the kingdom of God. I'll die for the kingdom. He puts these two guys together. A zealot and a tax collector. God is hilarious, isn't he? And he goes, you guys go share your faith together. Can you imagine Hitler and Farrakhan going and sharing their faith? That, that'd be something, wouldn't it? That's, that's, that's the diversity God wants in the kingdom. Two people that from outside of church would hate each other, but inside the church will die for one another. And then, of course, there's Judas Iscariot, which means one who strangles. Yeah, disloyalty will strangle you. It'll strangle you to choke you on out. And yet you think about this, you think about 
the fact that there was this documentary done about a slaughterhouse in America and how they would slaughter sheep. And they would slaughter sheep with this awesome principle called a Judas goat. Now, what did the Judas goat do? The Judas goat would sit at the back of the slaughter truck that would uh, usher in all the sheep. And the Judas goat would look at the sheep. The sheep would look kind of nervous. They didn't know what to do. And the Judas goat looked just like another sheep. But he'd look at the sheep and then he'd take a step. And then it kind of nervously took a step. And then the Judas goat would take another step. And the Judas goat was very trained because goats are very smart. It was trained to go up the ramp and go to the left. Once it went to the left, it went out the back and then right around and get more sheep. Once it went through the left, that door was shut. And then all the sheep came on in and they were slaughtered. The Judas goat. Leading people to their certain death. And yet Jesus chose Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Um, Let me just say it directly. Atheism is a Judas goat. Humanism is a Judas goat. Pessimism is a Judas goat. Racism is a Judas goat. Gnosticism is a Judas goat. Feminism is a Judas goat. Militarism is a Judas goat. Materialism is a Judas goat. Mohammedism is a Judas goat. The only thing that counts is evangelism for Jesus. Evangelism for Jesus. Now, what are the conditions for the call of God? He's got the diversity, but what are the conditions? Well, he tells you right here in verse 9. He says uh, in verse 9, do not take any gold, silver, or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey. No extra tunic. The tunic would keep you warm at night. Or sandals. Or staff. The worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person and stay at his house until you leave. Jesus is radical. He says, you cannot stop sharing your faith until you find somebody who will let you live with them. Can you imagine? You have convictions on the call of God still? How would it go if tonight you could not, you couldn't sleep until you found somebody you could share with? You'd be kind when you found somebody, wouldn't you? You'd be really kind. You'd have the fruits of the spirit. You'd have to stay at their house. You ever go to somebody's house and you're like, I have different convictions in my house. You go in the bathroom, you're like, this is a different bathroom. See, if this was a person you were reaching out to do, you'd have to overlook it. You have to be nice. You have to clean it. Because you didn't want them to kick you out in the morning. Because you didn't want to have to go share your faith with somebody else and you have to go through it all over again. So you gave your heart to that house that let you stay with them. Isn't it radical when you really look at what the Bible teaches? And yet we're just called to share with people at Cafe Nero. And then go home and watch your Netflix. Look at the conditions for the call of God. Pretty radical conditions, aren't they? Well, what are the convictions or what are the consequences for this radical conviction? Well, he he inspires them. He says this here. He says in verse 17, be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in the synagogue. He says, you're not going to get the council tax police off your back. He says, on my account, you'll be brought before governors. There you go. Government's going to be against you. Kings and witnesses to them and Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you're going to get arrested. Going to get arrested. Can you imagine? Getting arrested. 
Can you imagine? We go out and share our faith. And Win Lee gets arrested. <laughs> little Win, just little, can you imagine? Little Win. She would, she would do it rejoicing. She would do it fired up. She would go right on in. He says she would be arrested. Verse 21, brother will betray brother to death. Father is child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will like you on Facebook because of me. No, they'll hate you because of me. Not hate you because of L-I-C-C. Hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end, that means people get taken out by this because not everyone stands firm to the end. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through all the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Verse 26, so do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that is not disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ears, proclaim from the root. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but who cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who could destroy the, both the soul and the body in hell. Are two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of our Father. Verse 32, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his face. He says, you need to be turned against your family in some situations. A daughter against her mother. You need to be turned against your mother in some situations, Jesus says. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Just a few minor consequences for your convictions. Just a few minor things. You see right here, not much. A few relationships, a couple of challenges. Convictions on the call of God. Our last conviction here is very simple, to take up your cross. You got to be willing to take up your cross. What was the cross? It was an instrument of death. This would be like saying, take up your electric chair. Take up your cross. Crosses were meant to make people afraid, to dissuade them from committing crimes because criminals were killed on crosses. Jesus was killed on a, on a cross. And he tells us as true disciples that we have to take up our cross. We've got to die to this life so we can save the next life. We've got to die. And the Bible says very clearly, Paul says, we are always being given over to death so life may be revealed in you. 
If there's one thing that I want the European Missions Conference to be all about, it's seeing scores of people worship and seeing scores of people saying, Jesus is Lord, picking up their cross to save this world. What would happen if half the church was personally fruitful at DMC? How radical would that be? What a signal to all of Europe that there's a God here. There are people that have convictions on the call of God. Can this be the greatest European missions conference in the history of the church? I think it can. If all of us will understand the consequences, accept those consequences for our convictions, and then pick up our cross. Pick up our cross. I'm always inspired by a story that helps me because sometimes the cross can get heavy. Whatever the cross is for you, personal challenges at home, never having faith, being ostracized and having to become friends with all these people you see here. I know what you're thinking. I did the same thing. I came to church and I went, oh no, these are my new friends. Oh no. Now, I'm, now if I think about it, I'll start crying because all my old friends, most of them have died. A lot of them. All my old friends would have taken me where they are. But there's a great story of a man who got tired of carrying his cross. He gets to heaven. And he's really bothered because the cross gets heavy. And, and he looks at God with anger in his eyes. He goes, I'm tired of carrying this cross. God goes, fine, sit it down. He sets it down. God said, no, no, go in that room. You can grab any other cross you want. He goes in the room. He sees it across. He picks it up and he says, whoa, this one's it's big, but it's light. And he turns it around. And on the back of it, it has a little, little, little name on the back of this cross. In the back of it, it says HIV. He goes, he puts that cross down. He walks over and he sees another. He picks this one on up. And he turns it around. Cancer, you're going to die in 24 hours. He puts that one down. As he picks up each cross, each one is worse. He finally sees a little dinky one in the corner. He grabs it. Quick. God, can I have this cross? God says, yes, that's the one you came in on. That's the exact one you came on. Sure, you can have that one. You know, life seems challenging sometimes carrying the cross until you see all the other crosses. You know, the cross is quite heavy in Ukraine. I know because I talk to our brothers and sisters that are there under the threat of war who wish they could come to the EMC. Now, God is moving because we've used some of the finances here to bring about 10 of them over. But when we don't make the sacrifice to get registered, the, more, the less we sacrifice, the more, the less we can do in Ukraine and Poland. This is a big year. The movement is watching. Not only Europe, the movement is watching. Let us pick up our, our, our cross because we have convictions on the call of God that we will evangelize all of Europe in our generation. I love you and to God be all the glory.